Will you bow your hearts with me? God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, draw near right now. Amen. Today's gospel reading highlights two examples of the kind of religious people we might find in the temple and through them presents for our consideration two types of prayer, one of self-centered bemoaning and the other the simplest cry for mercy. Jesus uses this parable as a teaching on how to pray, what prayer can do in and through us. He offers the teaching that we might understand our motives, ourselves in relationship to God in a radical new way. At the parable's end, we know prayer as an act of humility, that a posture of repentance has the power to change everything. The Pharisee is preoccupied with himself and the outward-facing appearance of his faith. By contrast, the tax collector has tapped into the interior world. He understands sin as an inner spiritual condition and looks to God for transformation. But if you're like me, you might find the word sin challenging. Many of us have been steeped in traditions that use the word as a weapon. We hear sin and think fire and brimstone, we think, even above that, that sin is a branding of us as eternally bankrupt and undeserving of the grace and mercy God offers to all freely. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's back it up for a moment. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. The Pharisee shaped his life around conformity to the law of God. He lived by the law and centered his being on legality. He lived a life of order and predictability and worked hard to be righteous. He tried, he really did. But his labor was motivated by insecurity and fear, not by a love for God. He operated above and beyond the law and basically worked for extra credit. His prayer is narcissistic at best and would produce no change in his heart or life. He would leave the temple as he walked in, full of himself, with a self-created way of doing religion. God isn't in his picture, isn't in his prayer. He exalts his doing, his righteousness over everything else. And so the picture he paints is a self-portrait, a portrait of his own goodness. Note to self, 
If your prayers include the dragging of someone else through the mud, check yourself and begin again. The Pharisee was religious, but Jesus points to a better way. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector would not have been allowed in the temple. As a tax collector, one totally aligned with, sold out to the Roman Empire, charging money to their own Jewish people and giving it to the empire, he would not have been welcomed in the temple. But he shows up. His very presence in the temple tells us a bit about his heart, a heart that has or is turning toward God. His bodily posture points to this as well. Head bowed, eyes lowered, the beating at the breast. He physically embodies his reality and postures himself to receive. Despite the messiness of his truth, he walks into the temple with the hope of what could be. He is seeking transformation and offers the simple fruit of his lips to ask for the one thing that can save him, and that's mercy. It is this kind of humility that intersects most creatively with the power of God. We don't hear about this part, but something must have been stirring in his heart. Perhaps he'd heard about Jesus or had already had an encounter with his teachings. We don't know the bat story, but that stirring, that desire for God's presence brings him to the temple that day. Something inside him is already hungry. Something inside him has discerned an awareness of his need. So his story is one of hope, of the possibility of transformation. He enters the temple at rock bottom. There really isn't anywhere else to go. Nowhere but up. Richard Rohr says it this way, only from the bottom do we begin to rise. Descending comes first. And it is from that space of dissension that the tax collector quotes a version of the Jesus prayer. In full awareness of himself, his shortcomings and brokenness, he in humility standing afar off says, here I am, this is me, flaws and all. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It is in this manner that he positions himself for transformation. He is ready and he can be changed. So the takeaway is clear. Contrary to our modern lifestyle, Jesus seems to say it isn't about the hustle and grind, the drivenness, the doing. It's not about attaining and acquiring our relentless pursuit to achieve. No, rather it's about the shift that happens in the heart, a heart turned towards repentance, one that identifies, embraces its brokenness, its need and desire for mercy, and knows God along as the source, God alone as the source for such grace. 
God's mercy is our righteousness. It alone is our perfection, not our striving. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come do that which only you can do. The final verse in Jesus's parable tells us these two men left the temple and went home. Jesus's teaching tells us that a posture of humility, approaching God, everything and everyone with honesty and integrity, a readiness to be made whole is the beginning of any hoped for change. Justification means there is more. We can trust God to move us from simple desire to discipline, a discipline that will bring about change. This is a change in the way we exist, and it is work only God can do. The new commandment says, don't get stuck on the rules. We cannot trust in our ability to fulfill the law. So if you haven't realized it yet, the Pharisee in this story is most of us. We come to the temple wrong, wrong, and yet still not beyond God's welcome. Jesus offers this check-in with ourselves for those times when we've been complacent. We're dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, and then some. Our faith looks good. But is there room in our hearts for change? Are we willing to be transformed? Are we judging? The path of holiness is not paved with perfection. It is a road broken with shards and stones and stairs torn up. On that road, you'll find the seekers, the perfectly imperfect seekers on the journey, those who know their need for mercy. And in humility, they come, heads bowed, hearts open and ready to receive. Jesus says it over and over again, the last will be first, but that invitation is to a world that is so very different from the one we know. The tax collector is justified, made right before God in the kind of role reversal Jesus has become famous for. What makes him so compelling, this tax collector, is his potential for transformation. Justification makes him right with God, but that fact can create a ripple effect. His justification has the potential to lead to sanctification, and sanctification is change. It is a believer becoming more and more like Christ. And again, only God can do that. The act of mercy is only the beginning. But it starts here with a posture and stance that puts on display a softened heart. And from this space, a simple prayer arises. This prayer connects us to our truest selves and our desire for God. In it, we pray for mercy. It is a prayer that helps us see ourselves and brings us in right relationship with a God who loves us. Change, profound change, can happen from this posture. There is hope for that Pharisee. Yes, I do believe that, and there is hope for us. It is said that the Jesus prayer developed in the deserts of Egypt and Palestine brings forth in the one who prays it 
the humility of a child. Prayed faithfully, it brings us to an awareness of the self as created by and in need of a savior. But this is not a message of self-abasement. It is a message of grace, a message that says our doing won't do it. The only way up is with God and God is always for us. The practice and discipline of prayer is not easy. It demands something from us, forces us to look at ourselves without turning away. It requires we confront our faults, shift our gaze and posture. It is, however, something we can practice. And so I invite you right now to enter in, enter into that space, inhabit this posture, take on this stance of humility that we might be made whole, live into the truth, the fullness of God's mercy. In breath prayer, we follow the rhythm of the breath and allow it to direct the cadence of our prayers. And so we'll close the sermon and spend a finish a few moments allowing the challenging posture, right? And those words to make their way through us. We'll take a moment to locate the rhythm by taking three deep and so just as you are, wherever you are, in person and online, in your own time, three deep breaths. And then just pray with me. Maybe hands over heart, right? Maybe bow your head. Maybe close your eyes. Just go into that space where it's just you and God. And pray, breathe with me and say with me the words of this ancient prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. 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 Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me.
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me.